All right, welcome to the Teach a Good Rockstar podcast. And on this episode, we have Sarah Cooper. And uh, you know what, man? Some of you probably know her online on Instagram as Rocky Top Teacher. She has a huge following over there, and that's where I found her. And uh, listen, she is amazing. I love this interview. She is currently an assistant principal at a high school in eastern Tennessee. Prior to that, she was an elementary school teacher. She just has such a deep belief in, in the power of teacher collaboration and the creation of sustainable and positive classroom communities. She presents locally, nationally. She's awesome. All right, here we go. Teach a Good Rockstar podcast. Our guest, Sarah Cooper, Rocky Top teacher. Let's do this. Hey, you're in Tennessee. I am. Ball it, Nation. Here's the thing, man. When I'm on the road and um, traveling around, you know, uh, I live in Houston, and Houston is one of those cities where there's like millions of us here, but none of us have a really good reason why. And um, I mean, I, I think people that work in oil and gas, they do, but like everybody else is really no, I don't even know what we're doing. But here, but when I'm driving through Tennessee and Kentucky, and like I'm driving through these mountains, and then and there's woods and this nature, and I'm thinking, what are we doing in Houston? Like, why? I absolutely love our our Smoky Mountains. Um, that's actually where kind of my uh, my blog and and just social media handle comes from. A lot of people think it means the Rocky Mountains, but it's actually Smoky Mountains and our uh, our Vol na- Nation. And um, I love East Tennessee. It's per- it's perfect. You're all in. <laughs> You're fired up for it. Yeah. If only our if only we could get our football team to get fired up about it too. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Um, Hey, let's get into it. So, you know, I was looking through all your stuff, and here's what I want to have you on. Like, I mean, every once in a while, you know, I, I, I kind of do the social media thing by default, you know, simply because I had, um, with my, with what I do for teachers and schools, it's kind of part of the deal. Like, you have to do it. I don't mm-hmm. really love it, but it's kind of like, I don't know, necessary, not an evil, but I mean, there's some great stuff that comes of it, but kind of the way I got into it, I had this crazy viral video, and I got all these followers, and then, but, um, like once in a while, I find somebody like you, and you have all this really good, just these beautiful posts, and they're inspiring and colorful, and like just the whole thing makes me happy. Oh, thank you. I actually um, I owe some of my excitement to sharing about teaching to a lot of social media. So yeah. while I am not a, a social media expert by any means, um, it's been just a huge positive uh, part of my teaching career. So. Well, man, here's 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 what I've realized. Like in social media, um, for those people that aren't like the social media expert, like that's um, who I find to be most effective because they're like all their stuff is super authentic and real, mm-hmm. and they're not, um, you know, <laughs> not just going for like the Pinterest classroom type right, of thing. Right. Like they're they're out there just really trying to inspire and make a difference and um, influence um, in a pot, like really being influential in a positive way for educators. Which is, man, in, in this business, gosh, it's so neat because it's so hard it is it is actually so I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point during our conversation but um, when I first started teaching I was super introverted and I was extremely shy and I'm sure I shocked a whole bunch of people that knew me in real life because they were like you're gonna be a teacher okay Um, (laughs) because I was that student in class who wouldn't raise her hand I was really quiet 
um, and I just kind of blended in. I wasn't a student that stood out or by any means, not that that's a good or bad thing, but yeah. um, I just kind of snuck through my entire school career. And when I started uh, being involved in, in Instagram, it was I found people who were like-minded and who had the same passions as me, and I realized I wasn't necessarily alone. And it was just a great way for me to grow uh, really personally first and then professionally second. So like I said, I do owe a whole bunch of my, um, just my success with, uh, and, and not even necessarily success, but excitement with sharing about teaching because of, of social media. Well, here's the thing, you know, that that's kind of the order in which it goes. Like we can try to do all this professional development, you know, um, but really what it comes down to, like if you're not on the same page in terms of personal development, then none of that stuff is going to work. Because like right. we always say, like that educator in the classroom or that administrator in the front office, like that's the limiting factor for success in that school, in that classroom. Because like if you're not getting better, there's no way your kids are getting better. That's the truth. So how did it start for you? So you were in um, you were in school, and I, I think it's probably obvious that you grew up out there in Eastern Tennessee, <laughs> and and probably will never leave. And um, you're gonna be some Eastern Tennessee old lady with a bunch of cats someday. <laughs> and uh, and so you were in school, and were were you successful academically growing up? Yeah. So um, I, I did really well in school academically. Um, my parents put a, a, lot of, a lot of pressure on me to find what I loved about school. Um, so it was a positive pressure. They, they didn't stress so much about grades, um, although that wasn't, that wasn't a problem. I, I really loved to read. I loved books. It was something that my family, uh, we sat down every night together and read, and that just had such a huge impact on me. Um, I attended a, a community college here close to where we live um, for medical reasons, not for personal reasons. I had um, a pretty big surgery at the end of my senior year of high school, and so uh, it kind of pushed a lot of my four-year college dreams on hold, went to a two-year community college, absolutely loved it. It was everything I didn't know I needed. Um, and from there, ended up doing two more years at a, at a local university. It got my teaching degree and jumped straight into the classroom. Oh, I'm, cu- I'm curious, because um, you were a reader growing up. Yes, very much and- so. I, and I have some theories. I don't have any research, but I just, like, I have a ton of theories, and you're probably mm-hmm. going to hear a few of them. So here's one of my theories, is that with, with this generation, it's just so hard, I think, to inspire a kid to be a reader simply because there's so much dopamine available on the phone and so much... You know, they're, they're, you know that 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 part of the brain is sparked so more intensely. I think scrolling through social media and Snap, and there's some new thing. My daughter was telling me I don't even know some kind of other social media platform, not TikTok, it's some other one. But um, anyway, they you know, but to convince a kid that that kind of magic can happen in like this book with paper and mm-hmm. black and white print on it, that seems to be really difficult. It is. When I was um, when I was first teaching, I taught second grade and uh, immediately brought in a whole bunch of, of trade books, picture books, just kind of mentality into the classroom. And at the second grade level, your your children are still very moldable and they're still 
um, they, they don't have a lot of that social media presence with them. Even, even today, I think that the younger that social media kind of uh, trickles down to our students, I, I still think second grade is, is one of those ages where it's not quite developed yet. Um, so I had really not a difficult time bringing that love for reading into the classroom and helping students kind of find what they like to read about and learning that reading is supposed to be fun and it's not supposed to be forced. Uh, but when I moved into the fifth grade classroom, even though that doesn't seem like a massive jump, it was a huge jump in trying to help uh, find that that special area where students continued to be in love with reading. Uh, and it was really challenging, but it was that challenging portion of it that I, I truly loved. Um, and it's one thing that now that I'm not in the classroom that I miss uh, a lot is is trying to help students find their love for reading. Yeah, when you're growing up, were, were your parents readers? My parents were readers. Um, so my dad, not so much. Um, he was in the military a lot and he traveled, but he did read on his free time. But my mom uh, is a preschool teacher. And so we read all the time and she would read with us. And if, if we were reading, she was also reading a book. And I think that was something that I didn't realize stuck so much with me until I became a teacher. Um, is that the more that I thought about it, any time that, that we had out books at home, my mom also had out her own. And, and it was kind of like that, uh, that intrinsic realization yeah. that, you know, somebody else, if they're telling you to read and they're not reading themselves, they're, they're not sharing that true message. And, and that was something that she did always do. Uh, and, it, and it impacted me when I didn't even realize it. You know, I don't know anything about um, uh, uh, data and research in terms of early education reading, but I have a, I have a strange uh, feeling, uh, my own intuition, that I just wonder if we're going to see scores plummet um, because even like in my little sub, not a suburban neighborhood, but you know, just my I got I, I live in a city and then we got mm -hmm. lots of houses like really close, right. and um, I see moms walking down the with their stroller and the kid, and where like maybe fifteen or twenty years ago I would see that in my neighborhood and there's mom like engaged and talking to the kid and mm -hmm. now mom's on the phone right and some right. of this and, and there might be a five-year-old with a iPad you know playing a game I just wonder like I, w I wonder how that's gonna affect scores you know right it's yeah it's, I think it's something that we may have to wait um, you know potentially a decade to see the true the true impact that that's gonna play on our students and just our our social culture as a whole yeah all right, so you, um, at what point did you know, all right, I'm going to do this teaching thing? Was it in high school? Was it in elementary? So when I was in elementary school, um, my mom is a, a teacher, my aunt is an educator, my grandfather uh, was a, a shop mechanics teacher in high school, and so I thought I always wanted to be a teacher, and that's kind of the, the plan that I had in the back of my head, but I was just kind of socially awkward, a little bit introverted. Um, and so it was something that I was concerned about, you know, somebody who is afraid to get up and speak in other people, let alone a, a classroom full of their peers, how are they going to one day teach other individuals? Um, and so I kind of started when I was in high school to lean towards being um, a speech and audio, a speech pathologist and audiologist. Uh, and that was the plan that I had. I had enrolled to college. Um, and then because I, um, I had my thyroid removed uh, at the end of my senior year, I wasn't able to go away to school. And so I went to the two-year uh, 
community college and had an education course and it, it truly changed everything for me. Um, I don't know if it was just that I wasn't just a face, I was a person in a small community class and that teacher was able to connect with me, but she was just so inspiring and so um, just motivating. And I, I slowly started to just come out of my shell and um, we, part of the classes that you go when you visit schools and you work with students, which is something I had always done, but this was just in a little bit different um, capacity. It was like more real now that it was part of a, a college course. Um, and I just was so comfortable and it felt right that I never looked back from that point. Yeah, man, I love that. I'm wondering um, when, when you were growing up, did you get to go up to the schoolhouse with your mom when she was preparing for school? Like, oh, all the time. All the yeah, time. isn't That's that amazing? Like being in the, like you're in the hallway by yourself. I remember like when the school be closed down, and um, I remember I like I would take my skateboard up there and I could ride mm -hmm. through the halls of the school. My skateboard, man. You talk <laughs> about being gangster. Right. No, but yeah. And then, um, you know, here, here, now here's what I love. I love that you had that influential force in your life in that, in that school, because, you know, the, I mean, the fact is anytime you have that many teachers in your family, it's like being in the mafia. You're probably going to end up in education. Right. Like they, right. You, know, you they have keep no choice. It's going right. to happen. <laughs> and, and, um, but, um, what I love to hear is I love when I rarely do I hear about, um, passionate and inspired teachers at the collegiate level. You know, I mean, they're everywhere. They're schools, you know, elementary schools and high schools. I mean, they're overflowing with these people. But for sometimes at the college level, it's a different, I find a different type of person. Often they're database and research based and trying to get published and trying to get, you know, um, they're keep, you know, keep their job and, uh, you know, all that. And, but to find someone who's really excited and still loves the, the idea of being the most influential person in the life of students and helping those students become that person for their students. That's exciting, man. You'll find that it everywhere. Is. It is. And, you know, something that uh, I look back on now that I think is really cool. I mean, I live in a small town, but it's not small, small. Um, it, it's a pretty decent size for our East Tennessee area. And um, the the college professor that helped ignite my, my uh, reignite, I guess, my passion for teaching, which would be a better, better way to say it since that had kind of been a plan all along, um, she was an elementary teacher and she left the classroom to to go teach college um, just for a career change and that's just what she felt like she was being led to do. Ironically enough, when I graduated college, I actually went to teach at the school that she taught at when she was an elementary teacher. Uh, cool. um, not intentional by any means. I don't think I ever realized that's where she taught. But then uh, last um, the last two years, she actually... Uh, came and left the college classroom and and came back to the school that I was at to be an instructional facilitator. So it's just like this big crazy thing that I think was meant to happen. Um, and she continues to continues to inspire me in ways that I don't I don't think she realizes um, now as a colleague instead of that student to uh, to teacher kind of relationship. Have you ever told her? Oh yeah, yeah. I've told her, and I hope she listens to this and gets to hear it in a little bit different way. Because um, I was about to give you some homework to make sure she knows. Yeah, yeah. I will definitely share this with her and say, "Hey, check <laughs> it out. You're on there." <laughs> and so, in your town, growing up in um, high school, I'm trying to calculate um, what what uh, size of town was. So, tell me the number of people in your graduating class. Uh, so, in my graduating class, we had about 350. Um, That's a great our, little town. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. We have two high schools uh, in my, my district, and they're about 1,500, 1,600 students apiece. Do you have a Starbucks? We do actually there have a Starbucks go. and a Dunkin' Donuts, so this is big. <laughs> moving on up in the world. You don't need to go anywhere else. You're set. No, no we're, we're here. We're sold. We're set. 
And 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 when you were um, in the elementary classroom and doing the second grade and then fifth grade, how many years um, did you spend doing that? So I was uh, I started out teaching in second grade. I spent four years in second grade, uh, and then I personally asked for just a change. I just wanted to try something a little different. I was a hundred percent in love with second grade, but there was just something about. Um, wanting a change and so I reached out to my admin and they were like yeah let's do it um, so I moved to fifth grade <clears throat> and while I was in fifth grade I spent four years and uh, four years there as well um, two of those years three of those years uh, departmentalized I taught ELA and social studies and then the last year we were self-contained did you did, did, no, did you have a preference one or the other no, I get asked that all the time, actually. Um, everybody says, well, what grade do you like better? They are so different that um, I, I truly did love them both. Uh, and if I ever make it back to the classroom, I don't know where I'll be uh, interested in going. But I know that if somebody said, hey, you're going to teach second grade tomorrow, I would be 100% ecstatic, same if they said fifth. So. Yeah. Man, here, I ch uh, check this out. I can't remember where I was. I want to say it may have been South, or maybe North Carolina. I don't know. But um, there, I, I was I was at a workshop, hosting a conference there, and um, some girls were sitting in the front row, and I was chit-chatting with them about where they teach and what they do. Mm -hmm. And they were telling me about their year. Get this. In their little town, they had um, uh, two uh, fourth and fifth grade schools. I think there they called it intermediate. And um, they had a grant. And for a study, for a three-year study, and to split the school, get this, they made one school a girl's school, one school a boy's school. Whoa. I know. And that's, then I said... That's interesting. I know. I said, and so we're talking about the interesting, I said, well, what's the biggest difference? And they're telling me about, and then, and then the, and then the, one of the girls goes, well, they're at the girl's school. I'll tell you the biggest difference is the smell. I'm at the boy's school. <laughs> <laughs> I I believe it. Um, there's just something about uh, students going to gym class and coming back to the classroom for a little bit. There's Your classroom's not like going to be the same for the rest of the day. <laughs> nope. As much you can go through the whole Febreze bottle, it doesn't you can. matter. You can. <laughs> and so after that, so at what point did you get like the admin bug? Okay. You, so let me. But before you answer, let me because I, I have a feeling you. Um, some people do like their entire career, thirty-five, forty years in the same school, same grade, same class. And there's other people that at year three of, of a phase they get like the itch and they need a change, mm -hmm. and like they figure out, hey, I can be really good at this. What's next? Right. And so maybe that might be you. Um, no, so I, I don't even know if I can totally explain how I am where I am right now. Um, I am teaching, or I'm not teaching, I am now uh, a high school assistant principal, which is a huge jump from an elementary uh, classroom teacher. But I got my admin uh, license and my master's degree in 2015, so I've been sitting on it since then. Um, I am currently enrolled in a doctoral program and going to finish up this spring. But I had, I was 0% looking for an admin job at the end of this last school year. I had every intention of teaching fifth grade this year. Um, I wasn't looking, I wasn't applying, and I just happened to get, um, I, I, I just happened to get word of a, a job that opened up at our high school. And there was just something about it that said, give it a shot. If you don't try, you won't know. Um, and you'll always regret that you didn't you know, reach out for that opportunity. And 
so I interviewed for the position and I got it and here I am and I don't have a clue what I'm doing, but I am loving every minute of it so far. <laughs> That's the thing about um, education. I think people just have to get used to the fact like, you can go to school all you want and you can hear about all that theoretical stuff. And like I say, man, I'm not sure that anything that's ever happened in theory has actually happened in my classroom. Right. And so, like, that's really the way to do it. Like, you just, you know, you learn as much as you can. You prepare as much. But, I mean, I, I think the personal growth matters way more than the professional growth when we right. go into a job. And, you know, once you're there, obviously, that's when the professional growth starts to happen. But, like, you really have to immerse yourself in it to really figure this thing out. Right. Well, and I think what's made this this job change so positive is that I wasn't burnt out in the classroom. Um, if being a principal isn't something that I decide is meant for me, I can say I gave it the, the, the shot, although I really truly, when I say I'm loving it, I, I mean that 100%. But I could go back to the classroom tomorrow and still be 100% happy. I loved the school that I was at. I loved the people that I worked with. Um, I had the most amazing group of students and families that a teacher and a school community could ever ask for and um, leaving that was really really hard but the unique part of that is students that I had in second grade uh, I now have in high school and I get to see them and I still get to watch them go through this progression of life and um, I think for me what makes it so powerful and so so meaningful to me is that I didn't leave because I wasn't happy and that's just what's made this journey be so profound is that um, I just think everything's played out the way the way it's supposed to. You don't know. I've realized is um, there are some teachers that um, everywhere they go, they find the most amazing families and school communities, mm -hmm. and and there are other groups of teachers where no matter where they go, they're going to find oh these kids, ugh this principal, right. ugh this school. You know, and so, and, and you know what, I always say, like, you got to, if, if you're deciding how much you love your school after you're there, it's too late, man. You have to decide how much you love it before you ever get exactly. there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> because once you're there, it's too late. Right. So, but you have to make this place amazing. And, you know, that's why when we talk about school culture, like, that's the key. Everybody wants to know, like, what is it about those schools that have this amazing culture? People love it. And it's so simple, but no one likes the answer. I mean, the answer is... What makes a difference is every adult on that campus in every position is 100% convinced that school culture is their personal responsibility. Right. Like every teacher is absolutely believes that the school culture in this entire campus is up to me and me alone. The custodian thinks that. Every food service worker thinks that. Every principal thinks that. And, um, and when we have people on campus that can actually model that, it makes it so much easier. It is. And I think something that, I don't know, maybe I should take and just put all of the, the research that I've already done for my current dissertation topic to the side, although there is a huge school uh, climate and culture component to it. Um, but there, I think it's so interesting. I do get to travel a lot for teaching and for education and you can walk into a school and, and I would love to research this, but within the you first five it. seconds, you can yep. tell what type of, what type of school culture you're going to walk into. Um, and that has nothing to do with the actual building itself or the, the place that it's built in or what student demographics are being served at that school. I 100% agree with you that it, it completely relies on the individuals that have a, a role in that building. Uh, it starts with the leadership in the school and it trickles down to the staff and, and the teachers and, and that in itself you know boils over into your students and their families and how they feel about attending that school and being a part of that, that family or that culture. Um, 
and, and if it's not modeled correctly at the beginning, you're not going to find that happy place um, without it. So true. You know, I can in, in for you know what I mean. Just even the look and the feel. I mean, no one's even there when I show up because you know I was just out of school the other day. I got I got there like at four fifty in the morning to set up, mm-hmm. and the associate principal meets me, and I walk in, and this place is the school's probably thirty years old, but it looks like it was built yesterday. Right. I mean, it's just beautiful. And, you know, those type of moments Or I remember I, uh, I went to a school and I went just to for, for a quick visit and I walk in the front doors and classes are changing and there's, you know, there's probably 3000 kids in the school and I walk in and I, and some kid sees me, he runs, he runs like right up to me and he goes, Hey, welcome to Magnolia high school. How you doing? Tell me how I can help you. He's a kid just changing classes. Right, right. Like, oh my God. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I don't even know how to respond because I'm totally stumped. Like he, and the, the kid has to say, tell me your name. I said, well, I mean, my name's <laughs> like, like I lost all my social skills because I had no idea like it was so confusing to be greeted like that way by a 16 year old kid that's yeah that's incredible um that is one thing that has um been kind of like a personal personal mission for me this year now that I'm at the high school is walking through the hallways um I'm used to like little smiling bubbly kids they're like hi Mrs. Cooper um and and in high school it's not you don't get that so much um but just within the last month of school, uh, every person that I see gets a good morning or a hey, how are you? And if they don't say it, I say it again and, and try to just help encourage them that, you know, those personal relationships that you build even with, you know, three, five seconds as you walk by can can truly change a school's culture uh, and, and just the climate that individuals feel when they're in the building. And I, I think that's... um pretty powerful yeah you know um last spring i went and did a you know on fridays i do the thing called field trip friday and i'll just go visit schools and hang out mm-hmm. and um That's awesome. and i had two just a completely polar opposite campuses and and one i was invited to one i invited myself to the one i invited <laughs> myself to because i just heard it was amazing i want to go see it the one a principal called me has tons of challenges and i went to the amazing one and this guy it's a, first of all they got somewhere around 4,500 kids i'm there at lunch not only does he know every this the principal knows every kid's name and he he's asking about hey how's your how's your how's your mother how's your how's grandma alice he like knows it's it's insane and he's only been there like a year and and he knows every he's sitting with kid he knows everybody he knows everybody's business about everything and then i go to the challenging school and he's and this gentleman's telling me the challenges they're having the culture problems and he goes, I said, let's take a tour. And we get up and we're, we, we walk, we're walking down the hall in three minutes. I probably, we passed 50 people and no one acknowledged me or him. He didn't acknowledge anyone. No one, and like, well, they, dude, there's your problem. It's you. Right. right. <laughs> well, I, and I in the it. moment you may not, someone looking from the outside in may not seem that as, as a big deal, you know, cause this, the kids may be walking down the hallway going where they're supposed to. They may be yeah. following dress code that, you know, they may not be causing any type of concerns or problems, but if they don't feel, if you can't feel that powerful pull right. to, I want to be here, this is where I'm supposed to be. Nothing else matters. It really, truly doesn't. You know, it really, you know, when, when we speak about culture, and you know from your research, it oftentimes you hear, oh, this is just another thing I have to add to my plate of stuff. I have to work. No, man, this is the plate. Right, <laughs> like, right. It's the plate upon which we're going to deliver all that other, all the other strategies and initiatives. This is the foundation for all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple a couple of years ago, I um, when Periscope was a big thing, um, 
Ron Clark actually hopped on to Periscope and talked about what his staff does in the very beginning of the year to kind of get ready for their kids coming back to school. And, um, you know, while his school's not large for what they what they accomplish there, it's a pretty decent size. But he said that they they print off pictures, five by seven, four by six pictures of each student. And when they start planning their year, they do it with all of these pictures of the students just right there in the floor for them all to see. Uh, and he said it, it constantly helps remind his staff that everything that they're planning, every conversation that they're having relates back to those students. So when those students' faces are staring back at you, I mean, it's really hard to not be student-centered and focused at that point. Uh, and I kind of think the same applies for um, just everything that schools do to set up every every program, every curriculum, every every plan of action always constantly goes back to the students. So if you want to change your school's climate and culture, you want to improve it, make sure that it starts with students and stems from there. That is so true. And I love that you brought that up. And um, for um, here's a couple things is I taught at a school which was the complete opposite end of the spectrum where um, – get this i was, it was and i admit it was a really large high school we were way overcrowded at the time so i know that changes a lot of things with what ron is doing but um i was at a conference and it was, a, it was like a stay away conference i think it was a three-day thing and a small group i think there's 50 of us in the group and you had to get up and introduce yourself and i get up and introduce myself and ask you some questions and do my thing and mm. then you know maybe 30 minutes later some lady standing in the front of the room and she is describing her school and where she teaches and the number of kids and the challenges i'm thinking man i got a lot in common with her sounds like my school i should talk to her and she's going on and on and on and then at the very end she announces where she teaches we've taught at the same school for 3 years together i've never seen this woman in my life oh my goodness I have no idea who she is because it was such a huge school. You know, at the time we had about 5,000 kids. So you have to, like, we have separate parking lots. There's two, there's at that, there's two or three different, you know, uh, teacher workspaces where they get the mail in the morning. We had mm -hmm. different meeting times because you can't meet all together because of schedules. Right. And the sad part, uh, we calculated later, we had about, throughout our days, we had about 25 kids in common that we shared. I've, I've never seen her before in my life. Yeah, and we and we share incredible. the same students. I know it's too crazy, sad. And here's the other one: is um, um, since you're, uh, have you have you now have you been to visit Ron's place? I have, I have. It's been a couple of years, but I have been. Okay, there. so you know what goes down. So um, there is he has a huge fan here named Heather, and Heather was a principal at a sixth grade school. And she, if I tell people like if you go visit Ron's place, you need to come visit Heather's school, because like she she will show you how to replicate this thing on a public mm -hmm. school budget. I mean, she's all in, and and the reason they were amazing at it is because um, it was a sixth grade school only, so they had to replicate this thing every year. It's not right. like kids would come in, they know how to do it, they know about the houses, they know about all the games. It, they have to teach every year, they have to start over from scratch. So that's why they're so good at it. Right. So oh, yeah, this true. year, she took a job at a high school, and she's doing the same thing. And she's got the tutu on, and there's glitter everywhere, and she's got the outfits, and it's every day's a theme day. She's doing school transformations. So I'm really fascinated to see how some of these high school professor-type teachers buy in or not to this whole program. Yeah. One of, uh, one of the conversations uh, I've had a lot since taking uh, this new role is um, – Especially when I was meeting the new staff in the very beginning, they they would say, well, you're an elementary teacher. How do you think you're going to handle being in the high school world? Um, and a very wise individual reminded me that uh, passionate teaching is passionate teaching 
no matter where you're at and in what grade you are at or whatever your experience is. That is something that transfers over no matter what your, your educational journey looks like. Uh, so that was the answer that I gave them. And at first, I, I'll be honest, I don't know if I believed that in my heart in the very beginning because I was so terrified. You know, here's a, a teacher that did room transformations and um, was 100% in on the whole building relationships component. And, and I believe that if you start with relationships, everything else plays um, you know, rolls out the way it's supposed to. And so when I walked into the high school world and I kept getting asked that question, I was like, oh man, I don't, I don't really have a good answer for that. But the more that I saw how the high school runs and the more that I've started to just truly become involved in the high school atmosphere, um, I really believe that now that passionate teaching, you know, these high school teachers, the ones that are on it and the ones that have got it, they could go teach kindergarten tomorrow. And while it would be a huge transition, they're going to be okay because they're passionate about what they do. And that's kids. They are a hundred percent invested in their future and their careers. And, um, same with an elementary teacher, uh, that's taking a massive uh, jump somewhere else. You can do anything in the, in the realm of education if you are truly invested in the lives of students. You know, here's what I always tell people, and you know, I believe that true, and I take it one step forward, that, you know, what, whatever type of t passion is passion and love for kids, and if they have that, it's going to work out, but then the, the next level is that is truly understanding, and not just understanding, but really believing it, that here at the high school, these are kids. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we got a couple of them that are six foot four and they have a neck tattoo and they have very adult language and they've lived very adult experiences, unfortunately, and they have adult dress. But that's a child inside of that exterior. That's, you know, I mean, it's, and like if you look at the brain scan, that's that scan is the scan of a, of a child's brain. Mm -hmm. And once when we really get it, it changes everything. In fact, my son is going to high school. He's a freshman this year. And when we were looking at and in Houston, you can kind of go to which any public school you want to. And um, they have so many different magnet programs. And we were looking at a school that didn't have a, a great history, but they uh, have a, an amazing culinary uh, program that he was interested oh, awesome. in. And so we're looking at that. and But I'm worried about this school. and I'm not sure. And then I turn around the corner and there she is. And she's the new principal. And I've worked for her maybe four times in the past at her four different elementary schools that she's completely mm -hmm. transferred, like transformed. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not worried because she's, yeah. Yeah, wait, she's <laughs> like, she's a great leader and she understands kids. And this place is going to be amazing inside of two years. Right. Um, so one of the, one of the, the cool things about my high school journey now, um, is that before I actually came here for, for teaching and for admin, I was the high school swim coach here. Um, and I was coaching the high school swim team while I was an elementary teacher uh, in second and fifth grade. And the first couple of days of practice, my first year that I started, I thought, I have no idea what to do with high school swimmers. Like, I've never worked with high school kids really in this capacity. Um, and it was, I, I was trying to figure out how to best connect with them. Um, and just a couple days in, I was like, oh, it's not a big deal. They're literally like my second graders, just a couple years older. Other than that, everything else that I do strategy-wise or the way I approach things is 100% the same. Um, and that's so true. They are they are big kids. Um, they they want to be, they, they may not admit it, but there's a lot of things that they would love to do that um, is kind of elementary if you think about it. But they respond to that because they are kids at heart. 
That's the thing, you know, when, when I show up on campus and I have this event I do called Be The One, and it it's about uh, shifting and revolutionizing school culture in a single day, and I work with, uh, you know, we do it on a typical school day and work with the influential student leaders and, and staff and faculty, administrative teams throughout, the, we have a bunch of sessions throughout the day, and like the secret, I never say like when I'm in a high school, the secret like behind the scenes in my mind, I'm trying to get this thing to function as an elementary school. That's mm-hmm. really what I'm doing. And, and when, you know, I don't say those things, but even in open conversation, when I'm talking to, you know, high school teachers, and I'll say, well, my seniors would never buy into that. They'll never do that. They're seniors. Let me tell you something, man. Go, like I always challenge them, go announce to your seniors that you're going to do show and tell. Let me tell you who loves show and tell. Seniors absolutely love show and right, tell. Right, right. They're, they're just kids. We've, um, I've, I've had a conversation with a teacher recently about how to, She just she felt like she wasn't um, truly getting and reaching every single student in her classroom. And so I went and watched and I gave her some feedback. But one of the things I kind of tossed out there, I was like, well, have you thought about doing small groups? Um, And that's kind of like a a high school teachers I'm I'm learning are really um, cautious of small groups. Uh, they they're not sure how to teach in the small group mentality and you know there's there's different atmospheres where it works and where something else may be the better fit but um, kids like to do centers even at the older the older age and I don't mean like centers like cut out these things and paste them here but in this center you're gonna listen to a podcast and you're gonna you're gonna talk about it with your classmates and then when you come to this you're gonna this area you're gonna be with your teacher and this area may be sustained silent reading you know there's so many different aspects of it but um, you know, the teacher was able to kind of try it out with the high schoolers and they ate it up and loved every second of it. And I thought that's because there is so much about them that miss that, um, the chance to have that student voice and that student choice, even at a high school level, that's what they're begging for. They think they're ready for it. They may not always be ready for the responsibility that they're asking for. Um, but just giving them that chance to still have a voice and a choice in their learning instead of just sitting in a seat and being talked to, uh, I think is is um, going to be one of my missions over the next little bit as a as a high school admin to kind of continue others um, to maybe try that same practice. It's so true, man. You know, like at that age, there's so many things. Just um, the, the basic human needs of the of a kid at that age that that fulfills. Like they all want a chance to feel a sense of independence and freedom and control. And right there, we're fulfilling those needs. In addition to that, they have this need for variety. And, well, here we go. Instead of the sit and get for 48 minutes or 129 right. minutes in a modified block or whatever they're at, you know, there's some variety in there. And in addition to that, they feel a sense of significance that that, that, that they matter because now they mm-hmm. because they have been given the choice and been given the freedom to move. You feel a little bit more important and you feel a part of something bigger than yourselves. Now we have um, smaller families within the larger family in the classroom. Like that alone, just on an emotional needs basis, it fulfills so much many. Right. It does. And one thing that, um, I think about when I think about my personal learning experiences, I had, as I'm sure most of us have throughout our school journeys, we've had teachers that have, have provided that for us and then and, and teachers who haven't given us that opportunity. And when I think back to the teachers that meant the most to me and the ones that I even maybe have personal relationships now that I'm a teacher and the ones that I've reached out to and that have been supportive and are the ones that even if they didn't come out and say, hey, this is a, this is an opportunity for you to have student voice in the classroom, that's how their classroom was set up. It was so student-focused and student-driven. Those are the teachers that impacted me the most um, as a student. And so 
something that I've always tried to remember, regardless of, of what grade I'm at or what my role is, is that bringing, you know, giving students that opportunity to be a true part of the learning process is not something that you can fake if you want it to be, you know, truly about them. Yeah. You know, also, I think, you know, giving teachers the um, their own independence and freedom and let them to be self-aware and have those conversations. Like, what do, like what's your strong, like, what do you feel passionate about in terms of teaching right. style and techniques? Because, I, honestly, I have seen teachers that do that small group thing and they're, they're so interactive and it's like a three-ring circus going on. But then right next door is another teacher that is just equally effective in their own way that's completely different where it is more, um, it's like they're putting on a, a, a show. Like it's a Broadway show, just them in front of the classroom, but they're so mm-hmm. effective that way. Right. Like whatever it takes. And then, you know, and there's that excitement. And then I just went to visit a class at, at a school here and Mr. Zhao was in front of the classroom. And um, and right before class, he starts with like, it was like this whole moment of silence where they come into this Zen moment and they all bow their heads and they go into this. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, and it's so silent and calming. And he, th- and he has a soothing, thank you, my friends. Now we'll begin to learn together. And it's mm-hmm. like, wow, you know, but which is completely opposite from the you know shenanigans that would be happening in my classroom, right? But equally effective. Well, and I and gosh, you bring up that's such a good point too. That um, as much as we promote student choice and student voice, our teachers have to feel that exact same thing. Um, and every teacher is a person behind that teaching profession title. You know, they're a person, and they have their own strengths and they have their own areas that that they're passionate about and they love. And I think encouraging them to find what they feel um, is, is most meaningful to them to be able to, to share that information with others. I think that's kind of the sweet spot is that, you know, you can't ask every teacher to teach in the exact same way. You have to encourage them to uncover what they think are their teaching passions and how they can bring that to the table. And, and it is going to look different. And you can't look at your, your colleague in the room next to you and say, well, they're teaching it this way, which means I have to put this pressure on myself to teach that exact same way. They're seeing results, so that means I have to do it this way. No, not necessarily. You have to find what works for you, and you also have to have administrators that understand that so that they can support you in that process as well. Um, and I think that you know that, that's why you know we 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 start off our first year teachers and we'll typically do like a they'll come for a few extra days in the summer before the rest of the teachers come and then we'll give them a mentor maybe they meet once every six weeks or something at the central office, but man to be a teacher in my mind that's like a three to five year you know nurturing period where because you know well let's say we stick with a mentor who was an amazing teacher and that's how we picked him as a mentor but they're just a different person a different style a different everything you know and and i really i really wish we had more um i don't know just just a longer period of time where we can help that first new teacher in their first few years and those formative years and then here's the next level of being self-aware and this is the conversation that i find like a lot of teachers um and educators are uncomfortable with is just being self-aware and knowing where your sweet spot is in terms of who you want to teach and what population a kid you're most effective with and you feel connected to and you can mm-hmm. identify with. Because like I know at a school I taught at, we had a big transition where the school was built in a field and okay. miles away from a, a, a suburban neighborhood. And, you know, average home prices, maybe like 250 something like that. So those were our kids, you know. Mm-hmm. Parents went to college. They're all academically successful. Parents wanted rigorous teachers and difficult classes. And they were involved. And, you know, they had, you know, batting coaches and p- private piano lessons and horseback riding and all that. Right. Well, 
over over the course of about a year, they built all kinds of government housing and apartment complexes in those fields, and it changed everything. And those teachers that signed up, it was a brand new school, those teachers signed up to go teach those kids. They knew what they were getting into when it, when it first opened, and we were in the field. But but in that change, we had a whole different population, and the demographics changed. And when now we came, you know, Title One school, and we had you know eighty five percent free and reduced. And now those teachers had no idea how to connect with these kids. And here's the thing: I start. And by the way, this is my population that finally showed up. This is people I work really well with for whatever reason. And um, I started to hate those teachers. And like in my name, I would call them names in my head. And but then I I, I realized one day, hey, wait a minute. She was a great teacher for five years. She just has the wrong kids. Like, these aren't your kids, man. This isn't what you're great. Your kids are over there at that school. They just opened that new one. Those are your kids. Go over there. And because the last thing I want a teacher to do is be miserable in a population where she just can't figure out how to teach and connect. Well, you, you might not ever figure that out. So, And that's okay. But just go over there to your kids because that's where they are. Well, and that's one of the challenges that um, schools go through transitions like that often. I think if you if you take a look at um, a lot of our districts across really the United States in general, just where there's huge transient populations or just the um, the the economics of districts are changing depending on what businesses are coming in or what businesses are leaving. You know, if you look at a district within a 10 year span, more than likely it's going to look vastly different within that, within those 10 years. And, and as a teacher, every year you get a different group of students. Um, and every, every group of students that you have, have their own unique, uh, needs and strengths and challenges and, um, learning how to adapt your teaching to each new set of students that you have is, is a massive challenge in itself. So I think that's why mentorship and and professional development can be kind of like this own huge beast of an animal in itself because the professional development I need this year may be totally irrelevant to me next year or what worked for one group of students this year. I'm going to have to totally, you know, scrap and try from the beginning. So I see as a beginning teacher that, you know, it's going to take you a couple of years to find your niches and, and, and understand you as a teacher before you can, you know, push that out to students because you have to figure out what works for you and how you're going to take and and adapt that every single year, but still hold true to you as a person. And I think having a passion and desire to shift to a new population and a new new demographic and a new reality. And, you know, and that's the challenge because a lot of teachers come into this business just like you and I, where like you did your homework and your parents were supportive and, you know, and you read and, you know, you had your trapper keeper and you were, your stuff was organized and your mom packed your lunch and all that stuff and wrote you a note on the napkin, you know, and put your name in cursive on your on your lunch bag and, you know, all that. We, and, but the vast majority of our kids, that is not their reality. No, no. Completely. And oftentimes a teacher shows up in a classroom and they think in, they're thinking they're going to get a classroom full of them and their friends and they end up with Sarah in the front row. And the rest of them don't have no interest and don't want to be there. And that's a shocking that's a shocking moment for a brand new teacher. Right. Well, and I think also understanding the culture aspect of the students that are in your classroom. You know, the the school that I taught in um, had a, a very high uh, Hispanic Latino population, uh, a lot of Guatemalan refugees, and um, 
I, I'm going to be totally honest, I grew up in an atmosphere where I didn't know anything about that until I got into the teaching world. And I love those students and the students that I have had the opportunity to be in contact with and be a part of a small part of their lives for the last, you know, nine years have changed me and made me a better person in ways that I don't think I'll ever truly understand. And I'm sure they're never going to be, you know, never know that they've done that for me. But when I was, the, you know, in my first year of teaching, most of my students didn't either speak strong English or they spoke English, but their parents didn't. And learning how to you know, not even overcome the language barrier, understand the cultural barriers that were there. You know, you you have to take in and understand how to meet those basic human needs first and, and build those relationships with families that may have totally different beliefs, beliefs and practices that you do. Um, and, and once you can uncover that, I think that's where the actual teaching comes into play, but the relationship has to come first. And as a first year teacher, you're expecting teaching from day one. Um, you may not understand that all of that has to come first. Sure. I don't know that you can teach that. I think that's something you have to experience first. And I think you have to have the desire. Right, to, right. To want, you know. And, you know, I've, I've, I've um, at this point, because I'm old and angry and crotchety, like I, <laughs> I'm just not, you know, I don't have to be nice anymore. So, and I've had those moments with teachers and hey, man, like, I don't think you're a teacher. That's the thing. Like, and, that, and that's okay. I'm not saying you're a bad person. Like you're miserable and your kids are miserable and you don't, and from what you're telling me, you, you have no interest in shifting over and changing and trying to understand the reality so that you can love them. And, and, and that's fine. Just, just don't be a teacher. That's not a big deal. Like right. you find another career that you love and you're passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that can be, a, I mean, not that it can be, it will be a difficult conversation. I think when you have to have it with those individuals, but I also think that there is nothing wrong with admitting that, hey, maybe I don't want to be a teacher anymore, or maybe 10 years ago I did and now I don't. Apparently 10 years is my thing because I keep using it over and over today. But, <laughs> you know, I, that there's there's no shame in, in realizing if that's not the profession that you're supposed to do, but d don't hold on to a profession just to hold on to it if that's not where your heart and your passion is. Yeah, which is interesting because I do find that uh, traveling around the nation, and I'll find I find I find it someone you know once in a while I think oh my gosh they should have been out you know twenty years ago, but I don't know what it is because I can't imagine a more difficult job if you don't actually love it. Like, can you think of anything more painful than being in a room with a whole bunch of kids if you don't absolutely love it? I can't even because like, it's already so like I love it. I'm passionate. I'm excited about it. And it's hard. It's really right. hard. Right. It's challenging when you are passionate about it. Can't imagine what it feels like if you're not. Yeah. And so for you, when, when you went to the high school, um, what I'm just curious, what did you have a moment within those first few days? You're like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. <laughs> well, so the first thing um, I actually so I got I got hired on a Friday and then I started work, I think, that next Tuesday. Um, and it was in June of this year, and I had no idea about how high school scheduling is set up in the summer, what principals actually do in the summer. I mean, I didn't know any of this from the high school level. Um, and the first really month, um, every single day from like 8 a.m. until no exaggeration, sometimes 9, 10, 11 o'clock, the four of us would sit at school trying to figure out this schedule because yeah. um, we have a brand new principal here this year. He has come from a middle school, phenomenal individual, and so grateful to work with him. Um, and then the other two assistant principals are taking on new roles this year because 
um, you know, that we're just really trying to have this, this shared leadership mentality where everybody is a part of the process. And so we worked on high school class scheduling and oh my goodness gracious, I didn't, I didn't know. I had no idea. Um, and so I had a lot of, oh my goodness moments those first couple weeks because, you know, here you are putting together a, a complicated schedule, trying to figure out where classes should go. This is a CTE class, so you can only have 15 or 25 kids in here. And this teacher only has a certification for these classes, but you really wish they could teach this. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Um, but while it was extremely difficult and I, I did, I hate to use the word overwhelmed. It's a word that I don't like to use in my vocabulary often unless it's really relevant. And it was, I was overwhelmed. Um, but it was the best learning experience I could have because now I feel like if I hadn't had to jump into it just like that, I still probably would not be aware of all the classes that we offer and who teaches them. I mean, it was a great way for me to get to know kind of the foundation of how the school is run before the school year actually started. I really wish that um, we had more teachers that were, uh, you might have to force them just to sit in on the process for an hour so they know. Yes, yes. Because well, they have called, no idea. Yeah, I've actually called my, my elementary principal um, and I have said, you know, I, it's kind of like that reflective, reflective teaching, reflective thinking is something that I, I try to do. And I think that if, if we did it more often, we would maybe be more happy people. But, um, I said, you know, I wish I could go back and any time that when I was in the elementary world that I got stressed about scheduling or I got frustrated with, with how things worked, I just could go sit in this room and experience, you know, say, Hey, you may think your schedule is complicated. Let me go sit you in a room where you're going to take and build a high school schedule completely from scratch when you don't know any of it. And that is a totally different, be grateful for, um, be, be grateful for where you're at. Cause it could totally be way more complicated. Yeah. I remember, um, starting every year in those schools when I was in high school and they would like the day before the very last day before the kids come, we'd all meet together in the afternoon, right before we go home. And they'd have the, we like, they give us the talk and they would say, listen, we know you have 65 kids in your classroom. We know you have 30 desks. We you don't need to send a, you don't need to call. You need to send a kid with a note. We already know. Right. And they would tell us every year our goal for the next few days, we're going to get them off the bus. We're going to keep them safe. We're going to feed them. We're going to put them back on the bus. And that's it. If we can do that, it's a successful first couple of days. Right. And yes, we know we're going to get kids out. Don't worry. We're going to get them in the right place. And you're going to have a class where you have two kids. You have, you, you're going to have 28 more coming. Don't worry. Right. We already know. Because right. sometimes you just got to get them in the building. And then, because like we said, what you know, your schedule that looked like it was going to work in theory. No, no. <laughs> no. And there's, there's so much that we learned as a team through this process that we already are thinking ahead for next year. Like, yeah, we need to change this. We need to change that. But, um, you know, we, we've started doing walkthroughs from day one and they're just really to take in and meet the teachers and go into these classrooms and, and see if the schedule that we put through in theory and that looks good on the computer or maybe doesn't look so good, you know, what it actually looks like in a, in a true classroom. Um, and you walk through these classrooms where there isn't a free seat, but those teachers are truly teaching their heart out and those kids are engaged and they're involved and, and the way that the classroom is set up may not even bother them because their teacher has them into that lesson and then you're like okay the schedule is okay you know it's kind of like that moment where you're like you know it may not be beautiful and there may be lots of things that need improvement on it but these teachers have have really just made it work and i think that's what is so cool to see it's everything you know i was at a um 
there's like a little get together at night here in the neighborhood. And just by chance, a friend uh, was visiting this family and he is an architect that does school projects. And so we got to talking. We just like, oh, this is interesting. And so he goes, I, I would love to have you to my office. We have this new plan, and we, I'd love to hear what you think as an educator. Just get feedback on it. Yeah, it's awesome. So we, he, and they have, you know, you go to this beautiful architecture office, and he has his team gathered around. He has a little mock-up model. And um, he's shown me their Bluetooth collaborative learning space here, and this couch is over there, and what's happening here, and this little these little like models. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, so he goes, well, what do you think? I said, well, who's the teacher? And he goes, what? I go, well, who, like, who's the teacher? He goes, why well, don't this is for it? I said, I said, well, I can tell you this: that your whole little program, like your little model, sucks if the teacher sucks, and it's amazing if the teacher's amazing. Right. Like, I think it might help in certain areas. But if you don't have somebody in there who's really amazing, it's never going to be really amazing. Yeah. And and when you say that, it makes me kind of think of like the, the flexible seating yeah. um, phenomenon that's gone on in education. <laughs> it's you it's have a phenomenon, teachers, all right. It is. And you have those teachers that are 100% invested and they absolutely love it. Um, and then you have teachers that are the complete opposite. They hate it. They think it's the worst thing ever. And then you have those teachers in the middle that get it. Um, and they understand that it's not necessarily about the, the couches or the seats or how it's set up. It's about how the teacher facilitates that learning experience for the kids. You can have the coolest couches and chairs and it be the most disastrous thing ever. And I think that's sometimes what happens to those teachers that hate it is because they didn't quite know how to make it look right for kids and then you know it, it really just depends on on how the teacher understands how to facilitate that so that it's truly relevant for kids in the classroom it's everything i went into a room where they just um this is a year and over the summer uh she won something at target or whatever and she took all the money and bought every desk one of those exercise balls Mm-hmm. And so they've been going on for like three or four weeks now. And then I go into the classroom and it's the first time I've ever, I've been in a room with every kid on an exercise ball. And they're, I mean, all of them are, you are know, bouncing. every single <laughs> yeah. one of them. Uh, and I'm like feeling like, oh my gosh, this is so much to handle. And then she comes over as she, in the middle of her lesson, she turns to me, she goes, don't worry, the seasickness goes away. I'm like, that's <laughs> what it is. I was getting seasick watching these kids bounce. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I had... Uh, I actually won a contest through Go Noodle when I was in the second grade classroom. And one of the things that I asked for was a couple uh, exercise balls and some yoga mats and um, some of those, the rocking stools. And I really just kind of s- sat on them for a while, uh, metaphorically, but um, trying to figure out how exactly we're, we were going to use them. And, and, you know, that's, I think when it was a really big thing um, online and everybody was talking about it. And so uh, I do believe and admit that, that my choice to purchase those things in the very beginning was because I thought it was something that made a good teacher was that they had flexible seating options in their classroom. But, you know, the more that we use them and the more that I understood how those materials actually can benefit a student and how it's maybe not the right choice for every student or for all day and you have to learn how to take and actually open up those opportunities for them. It was something that I took with me when I moved into the fifth grade classroom and kept and um, we have several high school teachers here that also have those flexible seating options but that's the thing is that it's an option. Uh, you know it's it's not meant to um, you know, completely change your classroom. It's meant to be there in case that's what a student needs in that moment, in that time. Yeah. Have you checked out those, um, 
the stand-up desks? Yes, so my, my brother uh, works in the um, hospital medical uh, food nutrition world, and so he has one. Um, and there are, mm-hmm. I'm not going to deny, there's several times where I would love to have something so that I'm not just sitting in a chair and I can stand, because yeah. I'm, a, I'm a mover, but um, the standing desk is kind of cool. Yeah, they have them for kids, and I love it. Where a kid, um, where oftentimes I'll put them along the outer edges and the back row, and then the you know right left edges in the back row, and the kids you know just standing. I, mm-hmm. For let me tell you something, man. For a fifth grade boy, you know we're gonna expect this kid to sit in rows and columns and to stare at the back of some kid's head in front of him for hours and hours. Not gonna happen. <laughs> Not even close. No. Hey, I'm wondering for you and your um your year, and so you started this June, like like a few months ago. Yes. Okay, so um, what um, I'm curious, what do you think um, in terms? I mean, because you're obviously self-aware in terms of your own professional growth. Like, did you find something right away when you walked in within the first few weeks where you thought, okay, this is an area I really need to improve on? Um, I I think personally, an area that I realized from the get-go that I needed to improve on was. Um, just the confidence in myself that I can do this job. Um, and I know that sound that may sound bad, but you know, I, I know that when I, you put me in a room with students that, uh, that's where I'm most comfortable. And I, I love helping with professional development and I've, I've had incredible opportunities because of social media where I get to take in and travel and go talk to other teachers. But there was just something a little bit different, um, that I think I did to myself that I, was very um, nervous, and I realized that if I was nervous, then others probably could pick up on that. So being confident that I did have something to bring to the table for our staff and that um, I quickly realized that they want a cheerleader and that I can be that for them. Um, yeah. And so that's that's something that I've tried to make my mission um, and am slowly learning how to do that. Um, but something that I think I also realized right off the bat that the school was was searching for was just the building student relationships across the board. Um, and that it's not, you know, I, I want the, the four walls that these students, but also their, their families and our staff to be living in for so much of their lives needs to be a place of positivity and happiness. And, and that is something that, um, I've made my mission to figure out how to not maybe me do, but us do together. You know, for that one, you know, you, at first you mentioned um, the confidence thing, but for that one, like you have enough inventory of examples and successes where, you know, that's going to happen. Like that's going to get done. And I think that, you know, for confidence, that's really what is it, whether it's kids or teachers or any of us, like we, we, we develop this stockpile, this inventory of successes and achievements where we can look at that and we go, okay, well, I have en- now I have enough examples in my life. I think this happens subconsciously. We have, you know, I have enough examples in my life where I know I can pull this off and I know I can be exa- uh, successful. And, and I think you're right, man. When you step into something brand new, like a new role, new school, new level, new everything – like and you look in your closet of inventory of experiences and there's nothing on the shelf you know i think it's just a matter of building up a few moments where you right. you know you're successful and you can look at that and draw upon that and prove to yourself okay it's just like everything else i've ever done when i'm passionate about it and i love it and i work hard it always works out amazingly well right. which i think is going to happen as well and then you know um you know the the other thing is um you know being that cheerleader uh, for teachers, here's what I've noticed in my experience 
is when we talk to teachers, even at the secondary level, and sometimes you have to have like a deep conversation with them, like takes more than a moment at elementary we can talk about it we can talk to a teacher and say hey what you know what do you really want for your kids like what's the ultimate lesson of your class and they all say man i really want my kids to grow up with these these positive kids of, of great character with academic abilities and do amazing things in the world and oftentimes at the secondary level because the, our teachers have been so programmed to talk about content and delivering the lesson but when you talk to them on a deeper level, it's the same thing. Like it those is. people that are still in the classroom, they still want the same thing. They want great kids of exceptional character are doing what they love and making a difference. And I think where we fall short sometimes as leaders is um, we just don't provide them with enough examples that it's working. Mm-hmm. Like we talk, we, we can see academically it's working because we, we're crazy when we're collecting data and we have our war room and data charts everywhere. Like we can see academically, but for what they really want and what they're really showing up for and who they want these kids to become, I think where we fall short is we don't prove it to them enough that, yeah, man, like you're changing this kid's life. Look at here. Here's the example. And to show and getting kids to talk about the difference that's happening in their life right now because of that teacher. And when we, when we can provide that that's when it shifts from um, just like this extrinsic, you know, uh, pep rally type feel and pom poms to more of this intrinsic fuel that uh, feeds that teacher's fire for passion about their calling and what they're really meant to do in the world. Right. You know, I I completely agree. And one of the things that I have often thought about just within the last really month, month and a half is I I know that as an elementary teacher, when those kids leave our school, I'm probably going to see them around for a while. And so I get you get to watch them grow up. But the older that you get uh, in that career, you know, where you start doing getting ready, those, those students ready for post-secondary, you realize that more than likely once they leave your high school, it might be a while before you see them again. And so you lose touch with them. And then it is hard for them to see what sort of an, an impact they may have had on those students because it's not that that's still that constant communication. So, you know, finding that qualitative research and that data to take and say, hey, you know, you may not see it and it may not show up for, you know, 15 years, but the things that you guys accomplished together in the high school classroom did impact the students in these ways. And it was a positive impact for them, helping helping teachers see that relationship. And I, I don't know what the answer is because that's such a, a juicy and, and detailed and, and not easy to recognize and actually see on paper um, path. It, it That's, I think, where our secondary teachers sometimes miss out on what elementary and middle school teachers get. Yeah. And, you know, here is the answer. So one of the things we do with my Be The One event, and this could happen every day in every school, and I really, I, in, in my perfect world, it would happen at every teacher meeting, is I spend a couple hours with um, really cool kids. Like, I, I ask for them their most influential personalities. So fill out the room with maybe a hundred of them. And, and yeah, it's like they're athletic captains and they're rock star academic kids. But in addition to that, they're just good kids where some teachers like that kid's a great leader in the classroom. Right. Or they're a leader of what we like to say an unsanctioned organization on campus and still a leader. And we right. put them in the room and we have deep – and I have deep and meaningful conversations with them about – and the way, here's the way I do it. I talk to them about their kindergarten and first grade teachers and they all have a story. 
Mm-hmm. And we're talking about second, third, and fourth grade teachers. Oh, I remember Miss So-and-so. And I said, well, what did you love about her and that class? And so I, I start out really, really far away. And then I bring them closer and closer. And we talk about middle school. And then when I'm at the high school, I'll say, how about right now? Who in this school has really made a difference in your life? And because we've um, expanded our comfort zone where we can talk about these things, they will, they'll go into detail about this teacher and that, and and they all start naming that teacher that they've really connected with has made a difference. And then I pass out my little cards that I had carry with me and we'll write a note to that teacher. And it says, um, you've made a difference in my life by, and then these kids will compose these just most amazing, beautiful moments. And then after school, on this event, we, I filled up, we'll, we'll fill up the auditorium with all the faculty and those kids I spent the day with. And these kids will read those cards in front of teachers. Oh my! And goodness. they'll talk to them directly, and it is it is so like I, when I first started doing, I knew it was going to be emotional. I had no idea how heavy it can get in the room, and the tears and the hugs, and because the moment happens where a kid will say, "Miss Cooper, you've made a difference in my life by," and they'll go in to, to this deep thing, and they'll talk about specific moments when you when we went in the hallway, and you told me that when I grow up, and they'll go on and on, and so then I can I can say, "Hey, Miss Cooper." Did you hear what that kid said in front of everybody? Like They just told you. Can you imagine the courage it took for that kid to say those words to you? And then I'll say, Miss Cooper, I know that at times at night you wonder if this whole thing is working. And you, you worry, like, am I even wasting my time? Do those kids learn anything? And you're exhausted and you're frustrated. Well, because of what you just experienced, you've lost the right to ever wonder again. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kid just told you it's working. And like those are beautiful days and beautiful moments, but more than that, what I, I really want them to realize when I leave, that can happen in every faculty meeting. You can have, you can, you know, if if the, if we get our English teacher to do a warm up like that, and the kid can bring that note they wrote to the the meeting after school and have five kids read it to a teacher, right? Like it changes everything. It does, and. And it's those those moments, and, and they can be big or small, of those positive affirmations where you're able to realize that even though you don't know you're making a difference, um, and it's not even that you need to make a difference, it's that you're hoping those students are getting what they need from you um, to just hear it. All it takes all it takes is that little bit to kind of reignite that why, um, and I think that's... Oh, Definitely stealing that idea. <laughs> yeah. And, and and then also, you know, reminding our secondary teachers, as kids get older, that moment, in the moment of teaching, the, when you touch their heart, mm-hmm. it becomes less and less obvious. The older right. the kid, That's the true. less obvious. So like in K and first and second, oh my God, they give you a hug. They run to you they and grab to the on your leg. They little notes and draw yeah. you pictures. Yep. I love you. And, they're, and they draw pictures of you holding hands with the kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. Well, like by the time a kid's 17... That same thing might look like a simple head nod or, okay, cool. Right. Or right, whatever. So it's, but it's the same thing. We just have to realize it's less and less obvious. And so, you know, as much as I want that mountaintop moment, the truth is, you know, the, it, it, we're not going to go into a slow motion where a kid is running down the hall and backpack <laughs> falling off with the hands in the air to hug you. Right. I mean, I, I really wish it was going to happen, but it's just, that's just the reality is. You know, it, it's going to be a simple, yes, ma'am, or okay, I got it, I understand, a head right. nod, a smile. That's really what it looks like for a 17-year-old. Exactly, exactly. Um, so 
our district actually this year, our phrase is be the one, but I don't know if our superintendent chose that for a reason. So I'm going to have to reach out to him now and say, Hey, where did you come up with the be the one thing? I wonder if he's familiar <laughs> with It's pretty work. popular. In fact, when I trademarked it, it was really difficult because there's a lot of people that trademark be the one. Like right. the like like people you would never met like everything from organ donation type services to um uh, the NRA oh, <laughs> as a be the one go. slogan, like, be the one to teach kid about gun safety or something. I don't know, but um, yeah. And so here's here's my my um, last thing is um, um, we talked about what you have felt a big challenge was and 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 you're excited about working on. And I'm curious, looking back from when you started in June to right now, what do you feel has been like a big success where you thought, okay, great, I feel really good about the work I did right there. Um, it, I, it's not something that, uh, is about me directly, but I have had several conversations with a, a, a teacher who's a friend of mine who I don't get to teach with anymore because she's still in the elementary world. But I kept telling her that I was waiting for that moment where I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Um, and it's, it's not that I didn't know and that I haven't felt like I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be because I know I am, but I just hadn't had that heart moment yet. Um, and the biggest thing that I've been missing and looking forward to, cause I know it's there, just the opportunity hasn't presented itself yet is the, the constant student relationship, like the deep relationship. Um, yeah. cause I've only been here for, you know, one month with students, three months with teachers. And, um, and I knew that that was going to take a little bit of time to develop. And this last week we were sitting in. Um, some interviews for a scholarship opportunity that our students have. And it was just, the student wasn't talking directly to me. I just happened to be in the room on the panel. But everything that student said about the importance of, of building relationships with teachers and the importance of being in an environment where they felt respected and loved and knowing that the culture in this environment is something that's going to help them in their future uh, just, just everything the student said was like it was speaking. He was speaking directly to me, even though he wasn't. And that was the moment that I had been, that I had been needing, um, and that I had been waiting for. Because it's like, okay, if this is something that you can feel within uh, four weeks of school, just hang tight because all of those little conversations that you're having with kids, the phone calls that you're making home. Um, the, the interactions that you're having with students in the classroom or in the hallway or, you know, when we're at a football game now and they're calling out my name because they finally know who I am. Um, you know, those are the things that, that I've, I've missed with the classroom environment that I'm so excited are finally starting to happen in the admin role uh, because that's what I enjoy most. I, I enjoy building those relationships with students and teachers and, and the triangle, the community and the, and the parent aspect, family aspect. Um, I, I've been waiting for it and to finally have that moment where I'm like, yep, here it is. It's going to start now um, has been really good for me. And you know what? It's never, ever failed once. You know, when someone in an organization, a school makes a commitment to that kind of culture and those kind of it, – it's successful every time as long as no one gives up. You know, and, and when um, uh, a friend of mine, his name is uh, Jeff Springer, and he was at a school, and he was, you know, principal of the year in secondary – principals in texas and just an amazing school and at there uh, when he was still there he's retired now but he was there he um he had this thing called vcl valued complete and loved is one he wanted every kid to know that they're valuable that they are complete you're everything's in there man like it, all the good stuff that you need and it's all in it we're just trying to flip the light on so you can see it and find it and mm -hmm. that you're loved and um 
And but when he left, I mean, they would have pep rallies. Every kid, a hundred percent, would have a, a VCL shirt on, oh, and I love it. it was. You know, and it was just, it was, I mean, every kid had a wrist bracelet. And every kid that would post on Twitter, they were a big Twitter school at the time, it was hashtag VCL, everything. And people were like, wow, man. And, you know, but what no one knew, this was going on for a year. It wasn't like an overnight success. When people, like, right. when people realized, wow, this is great. How'd you pull this off? Pull it off, man. <laughs> I've been talking about this on the morning announcement for five years, right. it's you know, and longer. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, it, it, it is that consistency. And then the other thing I really, uh, when I leave a school, I hope administrators, I really beg them is to pick a few kids and make those kids your project. Like, the, mm -hmm. like I feel like um, for the, the most effective administrators I've ever found, they still have a few kids that, like, that's their students. And they're going right. to find them every day, whether it's just finding them in a the classroom and giving them a wink because I'm watching you, you know, right. or sitting with them at lunch or, or high five in a hall or calling them out of class for a five minute meeting. You know, like, that's their, that's their students and they're having class somehow, some way, every day with those kids. And when I find those administrators, I've, I see these schools like, all right, man, it's set. Like, they're on their way. Right. Right. Um, I am extremely grateful to work with the three other admin um, here at our school because we just we clicked from day one and it's it's been a phenomenal experience so far. But but one of the the things that we talked about at the beginning of this year is that it's really easy to get caught up in an office when you're in an admin job um, because of all the paperwork and and just everything that goes into it, but we challenged ourselves to make sure that we are visible and that we're visible together as, as often through the day as possible. Um, and so that has been something too, that in the beginning, um, I was worried that, that nobody knew who I was and it was really, you know, it's really hard to introduce yourself to a student body and to a staff in a short amount of time and feel like they actually, you know, know you and, and want you to be a part of the process. Um, but the fact that, that these other admin that I'm working with are like, hey, we're going to go sit in the cafeteria and we're going to talk to kids and we're going to walk through classrooms together and we're going to stand in the hallway together. And I mean, it's just that that mindset that the more that we interact with the people in our building, the stronger that our building's going to be. Um, I, I have been super excited to see that, but I also think it goes back to like you just said, that it helps you find those students that you can um, really truly connect with and help carry the the mission and the vision of the school through and through those students that that idea will spread out to others and that's that's how you build a school where students first is the true mentality I love it hey listen I know I was looking at your blog and um, your social and all this stuff you got a lot of stuff going on so um, <laughs> and so before we um, shut it down let me ask you about this um, what do you got going with your clothes? What is that? What do you have? Like, a, are you doing? Are you um, like repping? Uh, what is that thing? Okay, so first of all, the blo the blog um, kind of has some major crickets going on right now because uh, dissertation writing is definitely getting. Um, when I go to write, unfortunately, that's what it's about. But um, so this this last school year, I got asked if I wanted to um, sponsor. Uh, I do a sponsored post from uh, Stitch Fix, which is a clothing box company. Um, it was really ironic about all of it. Anybody that knows me in real life knows that um, I am 100% the least fashion-oriented person in the whole entire world. Um, but what was really cool about the opportunity was I had several teachers reach out to me on social media that was like, hey, go you. I know that was you being really uncomfortable and doing something that you are not used to doing whatsoever, but you put a smile on it. I found a really cute top I like. So I think it's just finding those cute 
um, small moments that kind of um, still allow you to connect with others and build relationships with others that may not be totally, um, you know, education oriented, but at the yep. same time, um, they're still fun and, and you meet people that way that you might not have connected with before. Yeah. And then um, you have your blog. Is that, is that, um, tell me the URL to that again. I don't have um, it, it should be www.arockytopteacher.com. Got it. A Rocky Top teacher. A Rocky Top. Com. Yes. So that one is a Rocky Top, but everything else is just Rocky Top. So right. And then and then you're killing the Instagram thing. Are you on Twitter and Facebook and all that? I am on Twitter. I absolutely love Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is Rocky Top Teacher. Instagram yeah. is Rocky Top Teacher as well. Facebook. Um, you can follow me on Facebook. It's uh, Rocky Top Teacher, but I'm not on there that much. For some reason, I think it was because I had that video. I got like 26 million views on a video, and like for what, and it happened to be on Facebook, and for whatever, like that's where. And the reason I still like it is, um, like I can just long wind stuff. There's no time limits, man. Yeah, you don't and get I, cut off. That's yeah, that's um, that's why I kind of miss Periscope a little bit. Uh, when Periscope was a thing, I did enjoy it because you could record it and save it, and um, you didn't get cut off. Um, but Facebook has those components now, so. So that is still there, which is nice. It seems to be an easier place for conversations, too. Agreed. Uh, anyway. All right, man. Listen, I uh, God, I can't thank you enough. I'm so uh, I'm so excited to see what happens with your career thank and you. uh, and check back in with you and to see what kind of shifts are happening with your new leadership team uh, at your school. And um, and in 12 years from now, when you actually finish your dissertation, I think that's <laughs> going to be an exciting day as well. Thank you. Thank you. I have uh, really enjoyed this. I'm glad that we got to talk. And uh, I always appreciate um, sharing about our profession and just talking about life. You know, what's cool is um, finding uh, like-minded people. That's kind of what we do on this podcast because they're all the same. And, like, we're just affirming and confirming the stuff exactly. we believe in. Exactly. <laughs> Which is but just as important, like, as brand new ideas and information. Just the fact that, no, no, man, you're not the crazy. Well, actually, you are the crazy one, but it's okay. But like you're the crazy. You, so. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. it just feels good to have other people on the crazy train. And uh, all right, man. Hey, go have an amazing weekend. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it also. All right. Take care. Bye.